Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the story of Hans Schmidt and Anna Almuller. But first, your true crime headlines. A Pennsylvania mother has been charged with two counts of murder for the deaths of her eight-year-old son and four-year-old daughter, who were found hanging from a wire dog lead in the basement of their home on September 23rd. 36-year-old Lisa Rochelle Snyder told a 911 dispatcher that eight-year-old Connor was bullied at school and had threatened suicide, and that he didn't want to die alone, so he took his little sister with him. Police were suspicious of the mother's story almost immediately, and over the course of their investigation, they discovered that in the days leading up to her children's deaths, Snyder had made internet searches for suicide methods. Family members and staff members from Connor's school stated that he had never reported being bullied, and an occupational therapist told police that Connor lacked the dexterity to hang himself. Children and Youth Services had previously investigated the family and removed the children from their mother's care in 2014, before returning them again in 2015. Lisa Snyder is being held without bail and faces charges including first-degree murder, third-degree murder, endangering the welfare of children, tampering with physical evidence, cruelty to animals, and sexual intercourse with an animal. The animal-related charges stem from a sexually explicit photo of Snyder with a dog, which was discovered by police during the homicide investigation. Snyder could face the death penalty if she is convicted. The murder trial is underway for a New York man charged with the 2016 beating death of his girlfriend's son. In opening statements, prosecutors detailed the horrific abuse suffered by six-year-old Zymir Perkins at the hands of his mother's boyfriend, 45-year-old Raishim Smith. On the day of his murder, Smith flew into a rage and beat the child with a broomstick, threw him into a cold shower where he beat him more, and then hung the child by his wet clothes from a hook affixed to the bathroom door. An autopsy showed that the child was malnourished, had multiple rib fractures, and his body was covered in scratches and bruises. The case raised serious doubts about New York's Administration for Children's Services and their failure to properly investigate reports of abuse. Prior to his death, the organization had launched five separate investigations into abuse of Zymir, but failed to intervene. Governor Andrew Cuomo appointed an independent monitor to oversee the agency, and five workers were placed on desk duty after Zymir's death. Zymir Perkins' mother, Geraldine, pled guilty to manslaughter and agreed to testify against Smith. In exchange, she was promised a sentence of two to six years in prison. Smith faces up to life in prison if convicted. A former NFL wide receiver was stabbed by his girlfriend during an argument, and now she is facing attempted homicide charges. Police were called to the Pittsburgh apartment shared by Terrell Pryor and his girlfriend, 24-year-old Shalala Briston, for a domestic dispute. Witnesses inside the apartment at the time told police that Briston stabbed Pryor in the chest and the shoulder during an altercation in the kitchen. Pryor was rushed to the hospital and underwent surgery. 
he is expected to make a full recovery. He has been charged with simple assault. Witnesses describe the couple's relationship as very volatile and told police that Briston stabbed Pryor in self-defense. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Anna Almuller and Hans Schmidt. But first, a quick break. Have you ever read the ingredients on the back of your deodorant? What are all those chemicals? Does aluminum really belong in your armpits? It's time to go native. Native creates simple, safe, effective products that people use in the bathroom every day with trusted ingredients that you can actually recognize, like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch. Native offers a wide variety of subtle scents for men and women, like coconut and vanilla, their most popular scent, cucumber and mint, eucalyptus and mint, and my favorite, lavender and rose. Plus, Native releases limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year, like sweet almond and honey for fall, or candy cane for the holidays. Native also offers an unscented and baking soda-free formula for those with extra sensitivities. And with no animal testing, Native isn't just good for your body, it's good for everybody. Making the switch to natural no longer has to mean sacrificing on effectiveness. And with no aluminum, Native also won't stain your clothes. So get the natural deodorant that really works. Go Native. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use the promo code MM during checkout. Try it risk-free with free returns and exchanges inside the USA. That's N-A-T-I-V-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com, promo code M-M, at checkout. Take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, the story of Anna Almuller and Hans Schmidt. On September 5th, 1913, two young men were walking along the Jersey shoreline of the Hudson when they spotted a package floating in the water. They fished the package out of the river. It was wrapped in newspaper, dated August 31st. They opened it. Inside, they found the lower torso of a woman's body that had been severed at the waist. The next day, three miles downriver, a second package was found in Weehawken, New Jersey. It was the upper torso of the woman's headless body, wrapped in a pillowcase, monogrammed with the letter A, with rocks tied to it. Police in New Jersey noticed that these rocks were distinctive. It was a type of rock called schist, only found in Schmidt in Manhattan. The torso was quickly turned over to the New York Police Department, where it was joined with its lower half. An autopsy of the body parts revealed that the victim was a young woman, under 30, 
around five foot four inches tall, who weighed between 120 and 130 pounds. The autopsy also revealed that the woman had been pregnant and had prematurely given birth shortly before she was killed. Inspector Faroe was assigned to the case and with nothing else to go on, focused on the monogrammed pillowcase. It was distinctive enough for the police to trace it to a manufacturer, George Sachs of 2768 8th Avenue. And fortunately for detectives, the company kept detailed business records. Less than a week prior, the company had sold and delivered two of the monogrammed pillowcases to a tenant at 68 Bradhurst Avenue in Manhattan. The purchaser identified himself as A. Van Dyke. Inspector Faroe, Detectives J.J. O'Neill, Frank Casassa, John O'Connell, Richard McKenna, and Thomas Horan drove to the apartment building. The building had one unit, Tennant said, which had been rented very recently, but no furniture had been delivered to the unit except a bed and bedclothes. They could hear voices in the apartment, but always after midnight. The landlord told the detectives that two weeks prior, a Mr. Hans Schmidt had rented the apartment for what he said was a female relative and had installed additional locks on the door. Neighbors confirmed that they had seen the woman enter the apartment on a couple of occasions, as well as this Mr. Schmidt coming and going, carrying a bundle. For four days, Detective O'Neill watched the apartment, hoping that this Mr. Schmidt might return, but no one came near it. Inspector Faroe rang the doorbell repeatedly. There was no answer. Finally, Faroe ordered Detective Frank Casasa to break in. Casasa went around the back of the building and climbed the fire escape up to the window of the apartment. It was locked. He used his jackknife to pry it open and climbed in through the kitchen. The walls and the floor of the apartment were splattered with bloodstains, and it appeared as though an effort had been made to clean up the apartment, but abandoned. Casasa quickly let in the other detectives. What they found was a mountain of evidence. Materials that matched those used to wrap the torso of the body found in the river, a portion of the New York morning paper dated August 31st, a few lengths of milliner's wire and some heavy cord matching those used to tie up the two packages. There was a revolver and a few cartridges, two trunks, and a receipt, $12.63 for a white enamel bed, a mattress, and two pillows purchased from George Sachs at 2762 8th Avenue. Inside one of the two trunks were letters addressed to an Anna Amuller, women's clothing, a man's coat embroidered with the name A. Van Dyke, and a few handkerchiefs embroidered 
with the same letter A found on the pillowcase. In the second trunk, detectives discovered a butcher knife and a large handsaw, both scrubbed clean. Two photographs found in the apartment showed a young woman. Detectives presented the photographs to the neighbors who confirmed that this was the young woman that they had seen going in and out of the mysterious apartment. This was vital, as detectives had not yet found the victim's head. But perhaps most important to the police was a letter addressed to Anna that revealed a cousin living nearby, Joseph Eigler, a boatman employed at Central Park. Eigler told Inspector Ferro that he didn't give a damn about Anna Amuller. Anna had come to the United States two years ago from Austria. I got her a job at St. Boniface's church, said Eigler, and that's the last I heard from her. At around 8.30 p.m., Inspector Ferro and his men climbed into their cars, taking Eigler with them, and headed to St. Boniface's. The Reverend Father John S. Brown, pastor of St. Boniface's Church, upon being shown photographs of Anna, said that he recognized the girl as a housekeeper who had once worked for him. Schmidt came to St. Boniface's, he said, around December of 1910, from Trenton. A priest had recommended Schmidt to him when Father Braun was in need of a curate. Anna Allmuller was a servant in the house at the time. My sister, who is my housekeeper, took a little trip with me to Europe in 1911, Father Braun told reporters. And while we were away, Anna had trouble with the servant who temporarily was taking my sister's place. Anna quit. After we came back from Europe, she came to ask for her place again, and she was re-engaged. If any intimacy between Anna and Schmidt began while they were both here, it must have been while I was in Europe. Certainly I never saw anything wrong. Schmidt, I might call an average priest. Although he performed his duties here acceptably, there was always something about him that seemed mysterious to me. Usually his face bore an expression of meek piety, but at times he suddenly would glare like a lion. I was so interested in these changes of expression that I tried to puzzle out what caused them, but couldn't. He was the nearest to Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde so far as expression is concerned that I ever saw. Although we got on fairly well enough together, I can't say that we ever quite harmonized. Father Braun told detectives that in May of 1912, Schmidt told him that he decided to go back to Germany. Schmidt was packing when word came to Father Braun that an assistant priest was needed temporarily at St. Joseph's Church on West 125th Street. Before returning to Germany, Schmidt agreed to go to St. Joseph's and fill in. But then, he liked the place so much, Father Braun said, that he stayed. Inspector Ferro and the detectives rushed to St. Joseph's parish house. They arrived just before midnight and rang the bell. The senior pastor opened the door. 
Inspector Faroe asked if there was a man called Schmidt in the house. There was, he said, a priest named Hans Schmidt. The pastor went to fetch him, and sleepy-eyed and dressed in clerical garb, Hans Schmidt came down to the reception room of the parish house and approached the detectives. Inspector Faroe very deliberately introduced himself as head of the detective bureau and then introduced each of the men with him as homicide detectives. Then the inspector showed a picture of Anna Almuller to Schmidt and asked whether or not Schmidt knew her. Schmidt said that he did not, but the look on his face said that he did. The inspector questioned Schmidt for several minutes about the Austrian servant girl that he might remember from St. Boniface, the one who became pregnant, the one living in the apartment rented under his name, when suddenly Hans Schmidt confessed. Yes, I killed her, Schmidt told Inspector Faroe. When asked why he had killed Anna, when asked why he had killed Anna, Schmidt answered, because I loved her. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.